We will be in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John again this morning, continuing where we left off last week. Jesus, in verse 48 of John chapter 6, makes the bold statement where he says, I am the bread of life. That's one of seven different I am statements that he makes in the Gospel of John. If you haven't noticed so far, as we've gone through the book of John, some uh, commentators have uh, added a different name to the Gospel of John. They call it the Gospel of Sevens. And it's because over and over there is a pattern of seven. There's seven I am statements. There's seven major miracles that Jesus does that are referred to as sign miracles. There's more, but seven sign miracles. There's seven major discourses or teachings through the book. And it just goes on and on, sevens. And and this statement that he makes, I am the bread of life, is one of seven I am statements. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Those kind of things. And uh, we're continuing kind of in the middle of this teaching where he is talking about he is the bread of life. And the significance that I see of this passage is if we really, really grasp what Jesus is saying and what he's trying to convey to us about him being the bread and then earlier talking to the Samaritan woman at the, beside the well where he tells her, I am the living water and he who drinks of the water that I give will have everlasting life and here he's talking about the bread and uh, if you eat of me you'll have everlasting life the the significance of that is finally found in uh, what we refer to as communion and you will understand communion a whole lot more the, the depth of it when you grasp what he is teaching here in this passage. Uh, I've struggled for years uh, with communion, trying to figure out. uh, I've just always felt impressed there was something deeper uh, involved than just pass the bread and pass the the, uh, cup and and we do this in remembrance of Jesus. There's a there, it, that it's a there's a it's representing something a whole lot more than just remembering Jesus. And I think as we come to understand uh, and go through this passage, we will begin to see uh, this deeper meaning. He says there in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. 
This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So he's saying uh, in reference to I am the bread of life that if you eat of me, eat of this bread, you won't die. The fathers ate the manna in heaven. It came from heaven, but uh, they ate of it. That fed the physical body, and the physical body died. But if you eat of this bread, you won't die, he's saying. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they don't quite get it. They they think... What is he advocating cannibalism here? What's what's the deal? And so Jesus said to them, verse 53, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Uh, Later on, we're going to read that many of his disciples quit following him because of this saying. They thought, this is too hard, too difficult, I don't understand it, and they, they quit following. And I would say that it is something that sort of draws the line, the old proverbial line in the sand, that you either have to accept what he's saying and believe it, or you turn and walk away. And to uh, to really believe it, you have to understand exactly what he's saying. And he's not saying, you know, get out your knife and whittle off a piece of his skin and eat it. You know, he's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is that there is something uh, that is more important than feeding the body the feed in your belly, as it pertains to eternal life. And it's, it's, uh, it's communion with Jesus. It's being at one with him. It's, it's living daily with him. Uh, when you choose to believe in Jesus, there's more than just Oh, I believe in Jesus. You have to believe, uh, first of all, in God. Because without believing in God, you can't, you, there's no way to believe in Jesus. Jesus over and over and over again makes reference to the fact that God the Father sent me. 
is what he's saying. Over 39 times in the book of John that he says that. And, and so that's, when I see something occur that many times, that lets me know this is important to believe that God the Father sent the Son. Then you have to understand that God sent his Son and these I am statements scattered through the book of John, that should alert you to the fact whenever you read I am to the burning bush back on Mount Sinai where God spoke to Moses from this burning bush and gave him the command to go back to Egypt and set the people free. And just before he left, Moses said, well, who shall I say is sending me? And God said, I am that I am. I am who I am. I am what I am. I am that I am. I am has sent you. And I'm sure he's walking away, scratching his head. And that is a strange name. I just wanted a simple, my name is John, Bill, Joe, Jim, or George, or something, you know. Just a a simple, that was been all I need to know. (laughs) But he said, I am. And what we don't get in the English language, the ancient Hebrew helps us to understand that that phrase is, I am the becoming one, meaning... I will become to you, Moses, what you need at your point of need. Whenever you are confronting Pharaoh and you need something extra, like whenever he has his magicians throw down their sticks and they become snakes, you will have what you need in your hand. You'll have it with me and the power that you need throw down your staff, it'll become a snake, and eat theirs, and then you can pick it back up again, and it comes a, becomes a staff again. And in other words, I will become to you what you need at your point of need. And that is still true today. Uh, he, you, have, have you ever been in a trying situation where you have a family member that's, Uh, dying in the hospital and you're called upon to go in it's it's the protocol it's the right thing to do go in and visit and say your last words to them and as a christian uh, you know you cry out to god you know i don't know what to say i don't i don't know how to do this and yet you go in and you talk to them, and you find yourself saying stuff that you you know you're thinking where where did this come from? How did I? And you leave, and they thank you for coming. They appreciate your words, and you end up after you get home saying that really wasn't me talking. That was God talking through me. He gave me the words I needed. He becomes to you what you need at your point of need. I am. And so whenever Jesus says this, the Jews, those religious leaders, should have recognized, and some of them did, that's why they got so angry with him, 
because they thought, oh, he's equating himself with God, which he was. He, he was saying, I am. I'm, I, I am the same one who spoke to Moses. I am. Jesus is the I am. And, and so um, that's, a, that's the first thing that we should grasp out of this when he says, I am the bread of life. That there's a little more to this. There's, there's bread. There, that means there's something that I can draw on for sustenance spiritually. And it points to life. Eternal life. I don't know if you thought about eternal life much. It's hard for us in these finite minds, in a finite world, to grasp something that has no end. I know it appears like we have things that have no end, like whenever you uh, are really hurting, you've hit your thumb with a hammer or something, and you're, oh man, will this ever end? Well, yes, it will, just... Hang in there long enough, it'll quit hurting. But we've really no way of measuring something that has no end. And so eternity, eternity, eternal life is hard for us to wrap our mind around. But that's what we are stepping into. We're stepping into that spiritual realm when we partake of what Jesus is offering us, believing in him. And I was saying a while ago, to believe in him meant you have to start with believing in God the Father. You believe that God the Father sent the Son. You believe that the Son is God. Then you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins paying the penalty for your sins. You believe that he died, and he, but he has life in himself. Even though he died, he still has life. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. And then he, after that, he ascended to the Father, and he, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. All of that is part of what you believe. You, just, you can't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Me and Jesus, we got our own thing going, like Tom T. Hall used to. <laughs> well, it's a little more than that. Um, you're dealing with God. Uh, we sing the song, I have a friend in Jesus. Well, that's good. That's on a, on a personal level, but it's, it's on the very bottom rung of the ladder. There is so much more to him being our friend than just, oh, i got a friend. It's, I've got a Savior. I've got a Lord. I have a Redeemer. God himself. He, he promised, Jesus did, when I ascend into heaven, I will send you the Holy Spirit. 
which is another way of saying, I will come back to you in the form of the Spirit. And I will come alongside of you. I will be the paraclete that will comfort you. I will be the comforter. I will be your guide. I will be your teacher. I will live in you and give you the strength that you need to live for me. And I am what you need at your point of need. All of a sudden, this thing of taking communion means a whole lot more as you start grasping all of this. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And it is. It's hard. It's not easy. It's a hard saying. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Now, evidently there were those, even back in those days, that were offended from what Jesus said. And I know there are today. And the sad thing of it is that there are some circles in the church on earth today that uh, the pastor will not talk about these kind of things because... It offends. It is offensive, to, especially to those who choose not to believe. It's offensive. And, and so, well, we don't want to offend anyone. We want to be friendly. Well, uh, I had an old uh, professor at seminary that said, uh, if you're going to be a preacher, he said, it just naturally follows you are going to be offensive if you're holding to what you're supposed to hold to. He said, otherwise, a lot of times people won't be jolted into reality. And I, I can remember some of the times before I came to the Lord, what I would hear, i think, this is offensive, that's a little too harsh. But you keep digging, you keep learning, and you find out these are words of eternal life. They have life in them. If I, and my responsibility is, is just to believe. If I, if I believe by faith. Well, verse 62 after he says, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? He says, if you think this kind of trips you up, wait until I ascend into heaven and you see that. That's, you're going to be tripped up, really. You're going to stand there with your mouth gaping open and looking into heaven. And that's exactly what happened. They're standing there. They're going, uh, 
you know, and then the angel appears and says, Hey, you men of Galilee, this same Jesus that you have just seen go, he is coming back in the same way, in like manner. And so don't be standing around here gazing at heaven. Go, like he said, go and tell others. And, uh, and, and they were. They were astonished at it. Verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. The reason some folks don't understand the words of Jesus is because they are spirit. And it says in another place in the Bible that all of this is spiritually discerned. It has to be understood by your spirit. You can't intellectually understand this. This is, this is spiritual. Verse 64, he's still talking to the same crowd. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. And, and I like, whoa. No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now, I, I am not a Calvinist, meaning that I didn't have a choice in the matter at all, that everything was God. God chose, he, God chooses, he condemns, he, you know, all of that thing was Calvinism. I, I am not that. However, I do recognize the fact that in the Bible it does talk about how that God chose us. But he did so in such a way that I also have the responsibility to respond to his choice. And so I also believe in the free will of man. I believe God is sovereign. I believe in the free will of man. And I think that's a biblical way to look at it, that God chose, but we chose to believe, exercise our faith. And you put together the two, and that's how we are saved, is by God choosing us. And he did so from the foundation of the world. And I think, you know, he knew all the future. He knows the future of every one of us. He knows, knows the hairs on our head. And in some cases, you know, that's not hard to count anymore. <laughs> um, so I'm not keeping him very busy, you know, keeping track of that anymore. But he, he knows us. And he knows what I'm made of. He knows my heart. He knows me. And yet, he still chose me. Therein is a huge, great mystery. Why? Why did he choose me? Why did he choose us? 
because he loved us. No other reason. He just, he loved, for God so loved the world, meaning the people, not the earth, not, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved us. Still does. And there's not a one of us can come to Jesus unless we are drawn or it has been granted to us by God the Father. Well, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And then I think this is very significant, what Peter said. Peter answered, answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Wow, what a statement. And he said this before the Holy Spirit was given. He, he came to understand something that many, I say most people on the, on the face of the earth, never understand. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now there's two things in here that I want to draw attention to. It's the word believe and know. And I've already talked about believing how that in believing in Jesus, when you initially come to him, you may just believe in Jesus. But shortly thereafter, you need to grow in that knowledge and believe in God. God sent his son. You need to believe who Jesus is and, and everything about him. But <clears throat> you don't need to stay there. You need to retain that throughout the rest of your life, that belief. But you need to, it needs to be more. And that's what Peter said here. I know. Because to believe is, is just getting started. That you believe in God. Believe that he sent the Son. Believe that Jesus is God. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he uh, was buried, rose again. Believe all of that. But to take it to the next level is to know that. Know it. For what is that scripture? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm persuaded. I know. When you know these things, when that thing hits you, that it, will, it hits everybody 
you don't have to fall apart at the seams wondering, well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. When I was in that ambulance, and just on the edge of death, you know, I could have reached out and grabbed it right there. It was just right there. And those uh, attending me in that ambulance, uh, I was shaking real bad. And they said, don't, uh, don't despair, don't, uh, don't be nervous and, and all. You're, we, we've got you here, and, and, uh, but you're going to have to stop shaking so we can, you know, do what we need to do. And don't be afraid. And I said, oh, I'm not afraid. I, I even surprised myself because <laughs> I had such a calmness inside. And I had actually come to the point where in that ambulance, I thought, well, I, this, this really is it. I, I have come to that point several times in my life, but as I look back, it really wasn't. But that was. And, I, and I, then I looked over at Jan, and she had such just a calmness. I mean, she was hurrying was what she was doing, but she wasn't frantic. There was, the, what the Bible says is whenever you're walking with the Lord in such a way that there is a closeness with Him, this oneness, that there is a peace that passes all understanding that comes upon you. And I had that peace. I have been in hospital rooms where other people weren't nearly as bad a shape as I was, and, I, and the family is falling apart. They can't talk for crying. They, they've got to get outside and smoke another cigarette. They've got to hide and go out. And, and I, you know, you can tell if you're a non-drinker when somebody comes in and they run out to the car and got a swig and come back in drinking. And you can tell. And I'm thinking, you're... You're looking for comfort and all. It's not in this southern comfort bottle, I tell you. <laughs> Try the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Try Jesus. Put Him on. Try Him for a fit. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to talk about here. And before we close this morning, I want to read. You can turn to uh, John chapter 15. And I want to go back before we leave John chapter 6 and read verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And that word abide, that means <clears throat> that you are clinging to, you cling on, you grab a hold to you, don't turn loose, that everything about you is sticking to the true vine. Because over here in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, here's another one of these I am statements. I am the true vine. 
and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. In other words, you are already forgiven. You are already washed of your sins. You've already, uh, you already have a relationship with Jesus Christ because of the word which I have spoken to you. You, you already have that, he says in verse 3. But then he says, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Part of the fruit that you will have is this calmness that I was speaking of in the, in the midst of adversity, uh, a, an assurance that Jesus is with you. I am the vine, verse 5. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in, in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love." So what Jesus is saying here is the same way that I have abided in the Father. I've obeyed his commandments. I, when you see me speaking something, you're seeing Jesus or God speak. We're, we're together. We're I'm abiding the same way I wish that you would abide in me is what he's saying. And I've got another passage I want to read. In John chapter 17, because I think this ties together. It, it's, it's, it's a totally different uh, teaching that Jesus does. Or a, it's actually a prayer. But I think after we read it, you will see the significance of I am the bread, and then I am the vine, I am the living water. Those kind of things. John chapter 17 is a prayer that Jesus prayed just before going to Gethsemane. And Gethsemane, you know, is where he was arrested and then took from there and had his mock trials and then later was crucified. And this prayer is is he he does this in front of his disciples where they can hear but uh, it's his last lengthy prayer that we know of and and I'll, I'll tell you what he's doing here so that you can see it as we read it first of all he prays for himself and that lets me know that there is nothing wrong with you praying for yourself. 
Jesus prayed for himself. Secondly, the second part of this is he is praying for his disciples. And and uh, he knows what they're going to be going through, and so he's praying for them. And then lastly, he prays for those who come to believe because of the testimony or the word of his disciples. That's you and me. And so he prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for us. And so I think you'll find it interesting in light of what he's saying, I am the bread, you need to uh, consume me, you need to abide in me. And then we read uh, verse 1, chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And if you'll notice these little phrases again, whom you have sent. Jesus makes it very clear to us that God the Father sent him and that he is the Son of God. And and here it is, uh, whom you have sent there at the end of verse 3. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory of which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So verse 6 begins the uh, transition where he starts praying for his disciples. And he stops praying for himself. But uh, draw attention to something that Jesus asked. Um, He said, glorify me with the glory with which I had before I left heaven. And he's he's asking the Father to do that. And... uh, we, we know because he asked the Father to do it, and, and, and that, that's going to happen. When you see Jesus, when we get there, you're going to see a glorified Jesus in all of his magnificence and glory. We're, that's who we'll see. Verse 7, now he, he's praying for his disciples. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm kind of getting the idea that it is very important 
And this is from God's perspective that we believe that God the Father sent the Son. Very important that we, we may not know the significance of that until we get there. But that, that's very, here he says it again. In verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Now we're going to pick up on this in his prayer there at the end of verse 11. The the request that Jesus is making to God the Father that we be as one between him and us, this oneness that Jesus has with the Father. And here he asks for his disciples that they may be one as we are. In verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And then we come to verse 20 where he starts praying for us. I do not pray for these alone, meaning these 12 and and more disciples. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Again, there's that reference to him being sent. But he's first thing he's asking, Father, I'm asking that they who believe because of the word of these standing here that come to believe, that they may be one. This oneness between us, the same way he says, I have this oneness with, with you, Father. 
And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. I wanted to read that because two things. This is the some of the very last words that Jesus said before being arrested before going to the crucifixion. So I feel like this is something very dear to his heart, very close. And the very last thing that he did, and you can personalize this because you are among these, he prayed for me. He prayed that I would be one with him just as he is with the Father. He prayed for me. He died on the cross for me. He paid for my sins. He gave me his righteousness and took my sins. As far as the east is from the west, he removed my sins from himself. And he clothed me with his righteousness. And he wants me to be at one with him. When I awake, when I lie down to sleep, I don't always do it, but I like to have the first and the last thing that I think about in a day is something toward God, something toward Jesus, uh, thankfulness that I am his and he saved me. And then all during the day, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that uh, he prays uh, unceasingly, just all the time. And that doesn't mean that you or down on your knees and, you know, have your hands clasped together or anything. It means that while you're driving your car, think about this, 75, 80 miles an hour down the highway. I mean, really, 80 miles an hour and your life is resting on four pieces of rubber. And I've seen those things blow up. And that's just part of it. If you stuck your hand out far enough, 
You can touch the other guy going the other direction probably faster than you. Life is separated by a space of just a few feet. I, I pray a lot if I'm not driving. I, I, I pray for the other guy, you know. Keep him on his side of the road. Keep him, keep his vehicle over there. Keep all of them over. And when you go to Dallas somewhere, it's like, oh, out of this world. Pray without ceasing. You have this oneness, this communion with Jesus. You start walking with the Lord in this way that I'm talking about, and you will see stuff, you will hear stuff, you will know stuff that is literally out of this world. And you will come way beyond just a mere belief in God and a belief in Jesus. You will know you will know down deep in your heart that he is with you and you are with him and there is a oneness here and he is your bread. He is your living water. And, and I tell you, I have been in both places. I have been without. I have been on my own. I have been lost. And I praise the Lord that God the Father gave me to Jesus and that I chose to believe. And now I'm walking with Him. So I've seen both. I never want to go back to walking it alone. I never want to do that by myself. I don't know how I did it. Other than the fact that He was with me all the time and I didn't even know it. Wow. He loves us. He really does. Shall we pray? Father, we just, uh, we don't even have words to say, but we uh, just express it in the words, thank you. Thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that you want us to be that close to you that you would even say a prayer is the last thing you do. Uh, that we would be one with you. We thank you that you desire to uh, have us be one with you. We thank you and we praise you. And Father, as as uh, the sheep of your pasture, we we cry out to you and ask, Father, that your hand of uh, protection, your hand of guidance would be with each and every one of us as we go forth from this place and that your presence would be felt and known. And I ask for everyone here that uh, they believe in you, but that they would quickly move to the position of knowing down deep inside these things, these truths, so that they can have a confidence and assurance that you are with them and that they can be filled with your joy and your peace, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray.